Good morning, Fairfax. Welcome. Whether you're here in the blue seats, at home online, or out in the uh, great room, we're just so happy to have you here today. Good morning, Fairfax. So if you'll notice, I know we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but we have these awesome QR codes on your seats now. Um, so everything that we're about to tell you, if you like you know, are better at reading than listening, <laughs> go ahead and scan those because it updates every single week. It's basically like, how many of you remember like weekly bulletins where we'd like print them out every single week and give them to you? It's basically like the online version of that. So if you're new here, also if you're online, if you're in person, we're so glad that you're here. Um, I hope that you'll either fill out the form online so we can get to know you better, or if you'll just stop in the lobby, we'd love to chat with you. So parents, I know you're probably having a lot of fun this summer. For the kids in the room, I'm sorry. That means school is just around the corner. Um, on August 9th, our resource center is going to be uh, doing a really cool thing. We're connecting with uh, Woodburn Elementary School, and we're going to be registering 150 students for Title I services. And on that day, we would love to give these students backpacks with supplies for the entire school year. Um, so if you want, scan the QR code, and you can find out how you can be a part of that. Awesome. So yeah, summer is in full swing, but it's like almost sort of winding down, which is pretty crazy, which means that our summer small groups are also winding down, which means that our fall small groups are right around the corner. So if you've ever thought about, hey, I don't know if I'm qualified, I don't know if I should, if you wanna lead a small group, this is your time. So we need small groups for the fall. Um, so if that's something that God's placed on your heart, I would highly encourage you to check it out. I lead a small group and it's one of like my favorite things that I do every Wednesday night. Um, yeah, so if that's something that you're interested in, we need small groups for the fall as well. Parents, again, apparently I get to talk to you today. Uh, if you're like me and you have kids and you're trying to help them to navigate this world of uh, social media and this online world that's just kind of uh, new for us, but our kids are were born into it, uh, Fairfax Kids is going to be hosting a free seminar on August 10th called Developing Discerning Kids. Uh, it's just going to be a way for you to learn better ways and tools to help your kids to navigate social media in a, uh, in a godly way. Yeah, so our desire for you guys and for us, for all of us who are following Jesus is that every single aspect of our lives would reflect how much we love him. And one of those ways is by trusting him with our finances. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, I just wanna encourage you if tithing is not part of your spiritual practices um, to just start somewhere. Um, whether that's, you know, you know how much that is for you and God knows how much that is for you. If that is something that you would like to do here, if this is somewhere that you call home, we just wanna say thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much for being here. And we're just so grateful for you. We have a ton of different ways that you can give. If I'm being honest, I always forget one of them. So you can scan the QR code, you can go on the website, you can text a number, you can talk to me, you can talk to Ronnie ask somebody and they will um, help you get involved. So we just wanna say thank you for that. Um, and lastly, um, we have something special. Um, so something that we're really, really, really passionate about here at Fairfax is seeing not only um, heaven come to earth in Fairfax, but also to see that globally, to be part of what God is doing in the global church. So we've had a super longstanding partnership with Pastor Juan Santos for like 25 years. Um, and he pastors a church in Dominican Republic called Iglesia Acción Misionera. And we actually have a team of 10 people who are gonna be going down there to serve on July 29th. And they're gonna be led by our very own George Murdoch. So would you welcome George to the stage?
Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. So those of you, you might recognize George because he spends most of his Sundays here with us, greeting us and welcoming us into this place. So I need to ask you a very important question, George. Okay. okay. How are you? I'm better than I deserve. Amen. Amen. Every Sunday, George tells me that, and it just brings a smile to my face. Thank you for oh, being thank here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank That's you. awesome. So, George, I know that you've been uh, doing mission trips for a long time, and it's, a, it's very important. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you'll be doing in the DR? Uh, this time when we go, there's 10 of us. There's uh, uh, six men, uh, a young lady, and two uh, teenagers going with us this year. And we're partnering with uh, Pastor Juan Santos. And we're going to be basically painting some houses for him, feeding some of his uh, uh, congregants, and uh, maybe go and visit, uh, visit and feed a sugarcane village while we're down there. But it's also another t uh, thing we're doing is we're ho hooking up uh, Pastor Santos Church with an organization called SCORE International down there. SCORE International is a sports mission, uh, short-term mission program that, allows, that brings people from all over the country, all over the world, to help the people in the Dominican Republic. I'm hooking up Pastor Santos with SCORE, so when people come to SCORE, they have another place they can go and help out, and help out our uh, what, 14 churches, I think, uh, Pastor Santos has down there for the help and the resources that they cannot get down there at this point. Oh, thanks, man. Well, we would love to be praying for you guys. Is there any way specifically that you'd like us to pray for you or things that we could just be lifting up this week? Yeah, let's pray for uh, safe travel. And I think there's a, a few that have never been on a mission trip, so feel that they feel comfortable because they're going to get out of their comfort zone now. And and when that, that the God has blessed them and, and is with them through this whole trip, so when they come back, they'll be able to spread the good word of Jesus Christ to their friends, family, and circle of influence. That's awesome. Well, if you don't mind, we're just going to pray for George together as a church family this morning. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for George and the team of 10 people that you have entrusted with this special trip and this special mission, Lord. Um, we pray that not only for safe travel, God, and not only for a beautiful and amazing trip, God, but we pray that this would be a catalyst in each of their lives to just share what you are doing, not only here, but all over the world, to share what kind of God you are, that you care about not only us here, but you care about people in the DR, you care about every single person on this planet, Lord. And we just thank you for this beautiful partnership. We thank you for George's faithfulness over the last who knows how many years. We thank you for this new partnership with SCORE and with Pastor Juan Santos. We just pray your blessing over this partnership. We pray your blessing over this trip, God, and over these people. May we be changed by your presence and your love for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Thanks, George. George.
Fairfax. How you guys doing? Awesome. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. If you don't know me, I'm Josh Falk. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church. And wherever you're tuning in from, if you're online or out the great room in the hangar, also welcome to you guys as well. I'm so excited today that I wore a special shirt, okay? And I'm trying to bring those summer vibes. Um, if you're not on a beach right now, maybe you were on one or you're headed to one or you don't like the beach, I don't know. But um, my wife and I did a road trip to the Keys a, a couple months ago and I got, we got this shirt especially for me for that trip. And, um, you know, my wife maybe thought I wouldn't wear it ever again after that because, you know, we're not at the beach. But I'm wearing it for you guys. So, yes, let's channel the, you know, the waves. And, and there's probably someone listening online who's like, I am on the beach right now and I'm listening to this. So anyways, um, great. Well, good to be here with you guys. And um, we are in our second week of our series titled Light and Love. And in the series, we are reading through the book of 1 John, and it's most likely written by uh, the same writer of the Gospel of John. And John was one of the 12 disciples. So, you know, in his Wikipedia page, it would say like early years, disciple of Jesus. And then in the later years, he wrote 1 John, okay? And so that kind of gives you a little framework. And so he's writing from a lifetime of experience of apprenticeship to Jesus. And so as he talks about how God's light exposes the darkness and how he talks about God's love is this new brand of love that the world has never seen before, he's writing from his own firsthand experience. And so as he's witnessed and experienced God's love and light in Jesus, he now writes to believers facing a world desperate for truth and devoid of love. Last week, Rod started uh, in chapter 1, and he started uh, by focusing on God's light and how it can expose the darkness around us and in our own hearts. And through Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, Rod talked about that God's light, and we, that through God's light we can experience freedom from the darkness that keeps us from living out who God created us to be. And so today we are looking at chapter 2. We'll see that God's love is the product of his light. That true love is compelled by God's light. Love compelled by the light is beautifully and powerfully portrayed in Jesus. A never before seen kind of love. He gives us a model to understand what it means to love God and love others. And through him we discover a love that transforms us and transforms those around us. So we're going to jump right in uh, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to start in verse 3. And so you can follow along on the screen or, or turn to uh, a Bible and all that. So here we go. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his love... Uh, his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. All right, so a few things here. John is making this connection between what we say about what, what we believe and how we actually live, right? So we have belief, 
and then how we actually live out those beliefs or not. And he claims that if you, he says, if you claim to know God, to have a relationship with him, then um, you don't just believe in him, but you follow him with your life. John is saying, even if you believe and know all the right things about God, that, that God created us, that we have inherent worth and value, and you say, yes, I believe all these things about God, uh, but unless you live out those beliefs through action, it means nothing. And at the end um, of Jesus' most famous sermon, he reserved some of his harshest words for those who listened to his teachings, believed his teachings, yet did not act. There were many in the crowd who would nod their head at Jesus when Jesus would teach, um, but not actually change on the inside, and, and, and there would be no action from that. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He says, your house might look great on the sand, might have this great-looking physique on the outside, but Jesus says, the minute something comes along to test your convictions, something comes that makes you, makes you put your faith to the test, you fold. When it comes down to it, in this situation, God isn't first in your life. God doesn't drive your priorities. And when it comes down to it, there's not a loving, you're not loving others through your life. So John, first, he's making this connection between belief and action. And then he, he says here in verse 5, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. John is saying that when we live out what God has called us to do, that that is how we love him. He says to know God is to love God. It's not this one-sided relationship with God. It's a two-sided relationship. And when we're in a relationship with someone, let's, you know, uh, we kind of alter the way that we live in order to love that person, okay? So here's an example. I love my wife. My wife and I have been married for five years, and, you know, we have a relationship. We, we love each other. And so when we're in this relationship and we're loving each other, um, I will change my behavior. I will alter how I live in order to love my wife. So I make sure that the toilet seat stays down, to love my wife, right? I grew up in a house of seven boys. Didn't happen growing up, to be honest with you. My mom was like, that's a battle I'm not fighting. So, you know, I love my wife. I make sure the toilet seat, I love my wife, making sure there's no random socks anywhere, right? I do that all the time. Um, but I try not to because I want to love my life, love my wife better. Um, you know, if my wife is sick or if I'm sick, you know, we have like these set chores that we do, right? But when one of us is sick, what do we do just kind of like naturally? We, we like pick up the slack. Like, man, well, I want to love you. I want to, I you know, make you dinner. I want to do the laundry. I know that maybe you would normally do this at this time, but I'm going to do this for you because I love you. So love compels us to, to um, alter our behavior to the will of the person that we love. 
And so John then says, lastly, in verse six, he says, you want to know how you are in Jesus? You want to know like the telltale sign, one of those? You want to know how you're walking in light, walking in Jesus' light, and actually following him instead of just claiming that you believe in him? He says, become like Jesus. He says, live as Jesus lived. And how did Jesus live? Well, Jesus loved his heavenly father with everything that he was and is. And he loved others. He loved his brothers. He loved the disciples. He loved his neighbors, those that he was passing by on the street. And he loved his enemies. You know, sometimes we as um, followers of Jesus, we can get so caught up in our convictions of what is right and wrong. We can be so focused on bringing God's truth to a situation or to the world. Or we get focused on doing things for God, doing things in God's name that might be good things. But maybe sometimes we go about them in a harsh way, in a very critical or judgmental way, a mean-spirited way. And as a result, we attack the very message of the gospel that we claim to believe. We attack the very Jesus that we claim to follow. This is why John can say, you can have all this knowledge, do all this doing for God, but if you do not have love, you're a fraud. You have totally missed the whole point. So John says, you want to know Jesus? You want to know how you are in Jesus or not? Here is the sign that when we are in Jesus, when we're in God's light, when we follow him, we spend time with him, right? We spend time with Jesus. We want to be in his word and spend time in prayer and, and, and nurture relationship with him. And as we do that, it begins to change us. And we have a growing capacity to love others. So the first thing we learn about God's love, it's this love that's compelled by the light. And it's this growing love in our lives. Bob Goff, who is an author, a Christian author and, and great speaker. He's an awesome dude. Um, he's, he's got this quote from his book, Everybody Always, which is a book about loving everybody always. Um, and it says... Love isn't something we fall into. Love is, some, is someone we become. So following Jesus means that over time, we grow into a more loving person. That when we are in Christ, we walk with him daily. And, and who we are begins to change. That becoming like Jesus is this process. And over time, we become more like Jesus. That um, the, the aspects of Jesus is worked out into every area and every corner of our being. John is saying you can't hang out with Jesus and not be changed by him. John's like, I would know. I, was, I would hang out with Jesus all the time and it changed my life. He's like, you can't hang out with Jesus. You can't be in a relationship with him and not be changed by it. Not grow um, with a more of the bigger capacity to love like Jesus. You can't say that you abide in Jesus and not live like Jesus. Love is the product of being in God's light, in his truth. And this evidence begins to form in your life of the characteristics of Jesus. It means we become less irritable, right? Becomes we, be, we become more trusting and, and less worried about things. 
We become less resentful towards others. We're quicker to forgive and extend grace. It means that we grow in our kindness, in our compassion, and in our warmth. When we are in God's light, when we open up our hearts to Jesus and we spend time with him, we also must allow Jesus to do this restorative work in every part of our lives. So becoming like Christ is a lifelong journey. This doesn't mean that God demands perfection of us. As uh, Rod closed in his sermon last week, he talked about earlier in chapter 2. Talk, John talks about how Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the ocean in depth of, of Christ's grace and love towards us is infinitely greater than the ocean of our sins. And so as we become more like Christ and grow in our capacity to love, we discover more and more how God created us to be. Now, we're going to continue in verses 7 and 8 here in 1 John chapter 2. He says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one that you've had since the beginning. That's the first part. So what does he mean by that? John is saying the idea is not something I came up with. In fact, loving other people has been around for a long time. Right? He's talking to these people who would be familiar with the Old Testament. And in Leviticus, you know, how many of you guys read Leviticus, right? It's like a great book. But Leviticus <laughs> says, love your neighbor as yourself. What's the heart of the Ten Commandments? The heart of the Ten Commandments, it's either about how we love God or how we love other people and care for other people. So John's saying, hey, this isn't like a new concept of loving people and loving God this has been around for a while, and he's talking to these believers who would, be, who would know that. He then says, and, and this is a little trippy, he then says, and then he says, yet I'm writing you a new command. He's like, I'm writing you, he, he says in the beginning, I'm writing you a new command, but an old one. And now he says, I'm writing you a new command, though. And you're like, whoa, okay, this is crazy. And so he says, to think about this, look at what Jesus says in in. Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Jesus says, The way I have loved you. Jesus took on the role of, of, a, of a slave and washed his disciples' feet. Right? And so when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's like, The way I have loved you. Love like that. And the reason this is a new command is because Jesus displayed a brand of love never seen before. When you look at Jesus, you get a vision of what love is. And that's why next in the, in the passage we read, it says, It's truth, the truth of this new command is seen in him, Jesus. You look at Jesus and you understand love that no one has ever loved like Jesus. There are a lot of great love stories in the world and in history, but nobody has ever done what Jesus did 
The gospel is the greatest love story in the history of the world. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, out of his great love for us, saw the darkness and sin and death that had marred creation. And God willingly sent his own son to suffer and die in our place. Through Jesus, God entered into our darkness so that we could enter into his light. Love compelled God to send Jesus to to take our place. Love compelled Jesus to embrace that Roman cross. Love compelled him to look upon those who mocked him, to look upon those who pierced his sides, to look upon his friends who deserted him. And in his greatest hour of need, they left him. His friends did. And and love compelled Jesus to look at them and say, I love you, to say, I forgive you, and I willingly endure the depths of hell so that you don't have to. Love drew Jesus to the cross and love held him there. That is how much God loves us. And it was God's inconceivable, unrelenting love that made a way for us to be in relationship with him. It's the greatest love story ever. Love was more true in Jesus than it had ever been in anyone else before. And therefore you see how incredible this is. He says, I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him. And then what does he say? He said, I'm writing a new command. The, new, the, the truth of this new command is in Jesus. And it's also in you. Who is the you? John is writing to those who believe. John is saying this extravagant love that compelled Jesus to die for us, to take our place, that same light that is seen in Jesus, it is also in you who believe. It's the same love that compelled the disciples to not just believe, but to follow Jesus with their lives. After Jesus' resurrection, his disciples that just witnessed everything that they saw, this greatest act of love in history, they lived like Jesus lived. They lived just like Jesus did. And it's the same love that not even the Roman Empire could stop. No matter how hard the Roman Empire tried, they could not stop this love. Through Jesus, we see a power and a motivation to love that can only come from abiding in God's light. And that same love we have access to, that same love can be seen in those who believe. And how is that possible? John says it at the end of verse 8, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John says that you see this darkness is passing away and God is making all things new. It's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Those who are in Christ, those who follow Jesus, who live in this obedient love relationship with God, the darkness has passed, it is gone. And the true light is already shining in their lives. 
God makes us new. He wants to make us new. And when we are in him, we are experiencing a new life, a new creation. We move out of the kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And when we do, it changes absolutely everything. And you are seeing everything through the light of Jesus. Things aren't perfect, but you don't look at life the same by any means when you're in Christ. And when our love is compelled by God's light, it also means that we have a grounded love. So what do I mean by that? It means that you don't look at yourself the same. When you accept the greatest act of love in the history of the world, it means you are grounded in love. Sometimes, when it comes to loving other people, we can get in our own way. Um, Because instead of focusing on other people and loving other people, we're focusing on the love that we need to receive. And we don't realize that we're already loved. We don't realize that we're worthy of love. For example, when we, when we don't realize that we are already loved by Christ, we might think nobody loves us. We can get wounded and we can get resentful towards people and we feel like we aren't worthy of love. And when you aren't grounded in Christ's love, you, you might easily get offended. When someone disagrees or ignores you, it just crushes you. When somebody criticizes you, it crushes you. You aren't looking at life through the joy of the gospel. You aren't looking at life in the light of what Jesus did for you. Or maybe sometimes when we don't realize that we're already loved by Christ, that maybe we get into this space where we're testing other people to see if they love us. You say, I bet, I, I bet you don't love me. I know you, maybe you've said that before, but no, I, I don't believe it now. And you constantly need to test people to see if they still love you, to see if you are still worthy to be loved. And it's just absolutely crushing any little sign that, that maybe somebody doesn't love you. It's just absolutely crushing. In order to live grounded in God's love, it means you view yourself through the light of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Jesus loves you unconditionally. You are already loved. You are already forgiven. You are already chosen. You cannot love others if you don't first love yourself the way that God loves you. It says love others the way you love yourself, but if you don't love yourself, how can I love somebody else? Now, finish off verses 9 through 11. John says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John says a love that is compelled by God's light 
is unstoppable. It overcomes hate. It overcomes evil. John says that if you are in the light, you are a new creation, right? And he also says that hate is not in your vocabulary. That if you are in Christ, you view people the way that God does. You can't hate. Whereas someone who maybe claims to be in the light, but still hates his brother or sister, is actually in the darkness. John is like, you can't be thinking about Jesus. You can't be thinking about his unrelenting love. You can't be thinking about that love and still hate somebody. John says it's, it's not possible. You can't want to harm someone while thinking about what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You'd have to have some kind of software in your mind to block Jesus out. When you look at someone else in the light of Jesus, it just ruins your ability to hate them. And when you remember that Jesus had every reason to hate but didn't, when you remember that even in our darkest moments, God looked at us and said, loved. If you're walking in the light, looking at everything through the light of Jesus and what he's done for you, it is not possible to hate one another. John says love is absolutely everything. John says that if you can have all the right beliefs, all this right understanding about God, and you can do all of these things for God, but if you do not have love, you've missed it. And maybe many of us would say, okay, Josh, I don't hate anyone. So, whew, you know, there's some really hateful people in the world. And I'll tell you what, I'm not one. I mean, I'm trying to brag, but like, I'm not a hateful person. Let's look at what Jesus said in his most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus talks about these three different levels of hate. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. Okay, level one. Jesus is like, yep, that's a keeper. That's not going away. Disliking someone so much that you want to harm them, yeah, that's not loving. So that's level one. Jesus also then says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister. Okay, so level two. Jesus is not just harming another person, but wishing harm on another person. In your mind, if you wish ill on someone, that is unloving. And that's level two. And then finally for level three, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that is not loving. What does Raka mean? Well, Raka means you nobody. Raka means that you are indifferent towards someone. You just don't care. You withhold compassion. You withhold empathy. Jesus says, guess what? That's unloving too. All three of these things lack any love at all. I say this to you. I say this to me. Say this to all of us. How often do we allow ourselves to become indifferent to those God has called us to love? How often do we withhold compassion with those that we disagree with, with those who are different from us, 
from those we, we don't take the time to understand, how often do we withhold compassion? Are we able to empathize with a brother or sister when they share their story or their perspective? Or do we ask them to prove their pain, to prove their tears to us? To weep with someone is to show compassion. To love people does not require us to fix people. We don't have to align with their beliefs or their lifestyle in order to love them. And do we sometimes rationalize why we should love someone less? Do we sometimes rationalize away the burden to care for people? Hate, resentment, indifference. John says they are not of Jesus. And the darkness and the brokenness in our world will try relentlessly to weave their way into our relationships. Try to weave their way into our churches and into our families. Instead of becoming love, becoming like Jesus, we fall into defensiveness, bitterness. Maybe we become unapproachable, unapproachable, judgmental, constantly blaming other people. In this short book of 1 John, John does write about God's light and God's truth. And the group of believers he was writing to definitely needed to be reminded of that. But John also, in this book, uses the word love 33 times. Love is absolutely central to the gospel. And John saw the way these believers he was writing to, he saw the way they lived. And he said, man, they must, they must need some to be reminded of, of God's love. He said, you're missing it. You're missing it. I'm sure John saw what we often too see today in our church communities but the quality of love sometimes inside of the church is not really that different from the quality of love outside of the church. And that there are many, um, many believers who are walking around wounded and crippled by the scars of other believers. It's why John, when he talks about this new command, he echoes the words of Jesus in John 13. When Jesus says this, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love. Jesus did not say, the world will know that you're my disciples by having the right beliefs. Jesus did not say, the world will know you're my disciples by having correct opinions, by having the right political stance. Jesus didn't say the world's going to know who my disciples are by the way they're offended or by what angers them. Jesus said, no, no. You will know my sons and daughters by the way that they love. It just seems simple, doesn't it? That the true love that we see in Jesus is so clear. And it's this love that is compelled by God's light it's grounded in Jesus' love for us 
on the cross. And he, he died on that cross and bore the weight of all of our sin and then rose again. And he looked over his shoulder to us and he said, follow me. Follow me and together we will change the world with an unstoppable brand of love. God calls us to obedient love in him so that we can be sent out to change the world, to partner with him in his, res in his restoration project to make all things new. And to close, Dr. Uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., most known, most well-known for being the leader of the civil rights movement, he always considered himself, though, first and foremost, a follower of Jesus. And toward the end of his life, before he was murdered, he talked about how he wanted to be remembered. He said, I'd like for people to mention that I tried to give my life serving others. He says, you know what I hope people say about me? I hope that people say that I tried to love somebody. He said, you know what I hope people say about me? I want people to say that I tried to feed the hungry. He says, you wanna, he says, do you know what I want people to say about me? That I tried to love and serve humanity. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life to stand against hate and evil and oppression. He knew the power of Jesus' love and light to change the world. He allowed the light and love of Jesus to transform him into a loving image of Jesus. He bore the likeness of his Savior. No, he was not a perfect person. But in him, you can see the way that he loved. You can see the way that Jesus loved. And you can see it in, in him. And in his book, Strength to Love, you see the gospel message was central to who he was. Here's a quote. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus' invitation to all of us is to abide in his love. The greatest act of sacrificial love in the history of the world is what Jesus did for us on the cross. We didn't deserve it, but by his grace, we can experience new life. We can be grounded in his love and we can know that he already loves us. He's already forgiven us. He's already chosen us. That it's in his light, we know that he continually makes us into love. And then he sends us out to be a part of this unstoppable love movement. You see the truth of love in Jesus. Just let the love of Jesus flow over you. Let his unrelenting love for you, let it change you, let it heal you. Let it make you new and let it make you whole. So that we can be as a church, all that God has created us to be and all that God has called us to be in a world that desperately needs light, 
in a world that desperately needs love. That is who God has called us to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, God, we are humbled. God, by your um, act of love, God, that is unmatched. God, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place. God, to suffer for us. And so, God, we surrender to you, God. And God, maybe there's folks in this room or watching online, God, who for the first time may be saying yes to you and placing their hope and their trust in you. So, God, may, may we love like you. God, may we, may we be challenged by your light and your truth, God. May we um, not get um, stagnant or comfortable, God, but be constantly um, seeing others through your light, constantly showing empathy and compassion and your love, God. And God, may others just see your light in us as we go out into the world and love. We cannot do this without you, God. We cannot do this without your Holy Spirit in us. So God, we invite you in to this place and into our hearts, God. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.